You've reached Vernon First Baptist Church. My name's Randy. I'm one of the pastors here. And you'll be hearing a sermon today that is continuing our Hebrew series. It's all about Jesus. And we take a look at what the author Hebrews was getting on about angels. Why, why does angels come up so much? And what's the point? So take a look at this with us and see if this has any meaning for us as well. I'm going to turn it over to Hayun, who will do our scripture reading for us as we turn to Hebrews 1. Please enter into the book of Hebrews with us as we continue seeing that it's all about Jesus. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for his sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son? And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. How many of you love angels? I'm not talking about the Los Angeles angels. Yeah, angels, they're wonderful. No, I'm not trying to set you up here. Angels are awesome. I love angels. And I'm sure that we have a few guardian angel stories around this room. I'm sure we do. Uh, now, I will admit to appreciating some imagery around angels more than others. Now, we've talked about how angels showed up you know, what did they always have to say? Yeah, they had to say, don't be afraid. So they probably, maybe, I don't know, they looked probably quite terrifying, I think, as opposed to, uh, you know, like, a, you know, ceramic cherub, you know. Precious moments, angel. I don't know if that's how they looked. Now, the very first Christian theologian to outline a specific scheme for guardian angels was Honorus, Honorus of Auton in the 12th century. You all remember Honorus? I'm joking, I don't even know about him. He said that every soul was assigned a guardian angel the moment it was put into a body. I'm not quite sure where he got that from, but that was his idea. Thomas Aquinas, who was a very smart guy, he agreed with Honorus. So, though he believed 
that it was the lowest order of angels who served as guardians. I'm not sure what that tells us exactly. October 2nd is, and that's coming up, isn't it? October 2nd is the feast of guardian angels. Hey, who knew? You can have a feast, good reason to have a feast. Also, in some countries, it's grandparents' day. I, I think often they're very similar, aren't you? Yeah, if you're a grandparent, you know you're probably your, your little one's guardian angels, especially if your grandpa was this guy, Curtis Sliwa, the founder of the New York City Guardian Angels, a vigilante safety patrol, and you wouldn't want to run into them. Uh, if you're doing something bad in New York City. Well, look for these next time you're there, whenever that will be. Now, Pope Francis, and I really like him, by the way, he has even been encouraging some of his people to, uh, to ask for the name of their guardian angel, which maybe I'm not sure if, about that. It does make me wonder, of course, who lets their children, you know, we see all sorts of images of guardian angels out there. Who lets their children play in a cliffside like that. I guess if they have their guardian angel with them, it's fine, right? Or crossing a bridge that might look like that. I'm not sure who does that. Maybe God needs to send one of those big powerful angels to the parents and say, don't let your kids get in those situations, that they need such a guardian angel. Well, the concept of guardian angel is found in scripture. Honors maybe got it from scripture. We see this in Psalm 91. It includes a verse that God will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And the angel who delivered St. Peter from prison, remember this story when we were back in Acts, Acts 12? After Peter had been escorted out of prison by the angel, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. Now Amy Grant, writes this great song called Angels Watching Over You. Lovely song. And it has this story, the Peter story in it. And so I looked that up this week, and there's this great video of it. Let's see if I can... Yeah, this great video, and so I posted it for people to look. And it definitely got some comments going. As you can see, I posted that on social media. A few comments came up because it caused quite a stir because the video is a little bit funny, not quite as uh, a blessing as the song itself. But Peter shows up at the house, freed by the angel. And the servant, Rhoda, recognized his voice and ran back to tell the group that it's Peter. And the group replies, does anyone remember? It must be his angel. Interesting. So they were wrong, and they left Peter without the door, as they say, for a while. But have you noticed that? The group, the group said it must be his angel. The idea of angels had to be quite popular even then for them to have this clear agreement on this idea. It was easier I think it was easier for them to believe that an angel was at the door standing in Peter's stead than, than it was to believe that God had actually intervened in the chaos of their situation and freed Peter. Interesting, isn't it? 
It can be tempting to merely trust a guardian angel. They don't require anything of us. In some ways, they're just sort of our servants. But in the midst of real life, are they going to provide something truly substantial? Our author, the author of Hebrews, who was? Right, we don't know. Good, thank you. We're not sure who the author was. We looked at that last week. If you missed it, please go back and check it out. We're in our second of our uh, long series as we head into Hebrews and see what God has for us. But we don't know who the author was, but we do know that the author wants us to know something. Know something very clearly. As awesome as angels are, and we can read great stories, great stories about angels, we have something, we have someone way better. Well, let's pray, and then we're going to dive into this passage together. Pray with me. Jesus, once again, I ask that you would speak through your word, that you would speak through me. I humbly ask that, and that you'd open our hearts for your living word to speak to us what you need us to hear today. We ask this in your name, Jesus, for your glory. Amen. So yeah, angels are bright and good and all that. But the sun, Hebrew says, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Remember this beautiful statement. We looked at it last week. Goes on, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Now, these verses actually might not have been written specifically by our author. They may have been written by a Fanny Crosby or a Matt Redmond of their day. There's a number, actually, of what they call Christological hymns in the New Testament. Philippians, Colossians, 1 Timothy. We find these words that have been crafted, beautifully put together. In fact, Ellenworth, a theologian, he notices here that we have this chiastic form of the literary paragraph. This could have been used in a liturgical worship. Not just written for this. That God has appointed Christ as the heir. That there's this enthronement. And through him he created the world. This action. And then these two key parts that it builds up to. That he reflects God's glory. And bears God's stamp. This exact representation. And then coming out of that, there's this action of upholding the universe and this reason for it all that he's made purification for sin when he died on the cross. And he comes back again that he sat down at God's right hand, back to the enthronement. What a statement when we look at this. You know, you sort of think, well, where do you even begin? We could break this down line by line, sermon by sermon. And that's before jumping into the next 10 verses that we read together. Thankfully, there's some good repetition here. Repetition of the ideas as the argument unfolds. And by argument, I mean 
the flow of persuasive ideas that Jesus is way better than any guardian angel. First, this hymn that we see, and then the author has three sets of Old Testament verses to prove this point of the argument. And there, there really is, it breaks down into three. Who knew that the author of Hebrews was a Baptist preacher? Who knew? Didn't know. But three points that we're going to take a look at today. And the first is that Jesus is the son or the firstborn. And verse two is the first time we see spoken to us by his son. And then we see that he's called the heir or the inheritor. And in verse five, we get to look back at Psalm 2 and 2 Samuel 7. As the author says, which angel has been called son? In quoting these two passages, there's a lot more at work, actually, though. When we look back at Psalm 2, 2 Samuel 7, both of them, both of those passages are known as the messianic passages. Well, as two of many portions of Scripture that point towards the coming Messiah. Well, who's the Messiah? Sometimes when we use the word Jesus Christ, Christ is the Greek for Messiah. The Hebrew is Messiah. Both terms, Christos and Messiah, mean God's anointed one who would bring righteousness and justice, bring God's salvation to the world, what the people were longing for, and then to help them be the blessing to the world that they were meant to be from the very beginning. This is the job of the Messiah. And we see throughout the Old Testament, lots of passages that lay this out, the, the view of who this Messiah would be. In Psalm 2, we see the psalmist writing about how the nations are rebellious, how kings rage against God. And Yahweh, the Lord, responds saying that God's going to install the true king and this king will be his heir, the one who receives God's inheritance. As he tries to help them understand what this is going to be like, he uses language that they would have used. To the ends of the earth, though, a little bit different, this inheritance, this heir, this kingdom, though great and godly kings arose, none fulfilled this type of calling have this long-lasting enthronement. None of them lived up to this. So the people kept waiting with expectation, waiting for someone special. And even God's promise to David to be God called God's son in 2 Samuel 7, a very special passage. It's tied to, that's in verse 14, and it's tied to verse 16, where David's throne, again, we have this terminology, will be established forever. Wow, what could this be? This is an idea of a forever king, not just one of the kings that sat in the palace. A king of kings will arise. And even this idea of firstborn, it's brought up in verse 6, if you take a look. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says... Well, some, some would say, they would go, well, we have to read this literally. 
He's bringing his firstborn into the world. I guess Jesus isn't eternal. Some might say that. But if we take it in context of the Hebrew understanding of how they use this word, we don't have to go down that road. Their understanding of firstborn would say that it means the one who would receive the inheritance, the heir. And in fact, many times the firstborn, the actual firstborn in some family lines was not the one that received the inheritance. And someone else was called the firstborn, even though they weren't firstborn. Now, in some ways here, what what the author Hebrews is and what the Spirit inspiring the author is seeking to do for us is to describe the Trinity. Now, if it was easier, it, they would have done it easier. But we are trying to do something that uh, is our language doesn't fit. And quite frankly, our understanding can't always fit this, can it? It's going to only take us so far. But this idea of God's Son being the firstborn, the one that receives inheritance, that helps them realize who Jesus is and begins to help them understand. Jesus is more than just a great teacher. There's something special going on. And then we get into something like the first half of, of verse 3, where it says that Jesus is radiance, or the exact representation of God. You think angels are brilliant. Yeah, true, they're, a bright light would shine. But Jesus, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. I, uh, I also connected, and I was giving you some updates on some people connected with Gary uh, Francis this week. Many of you remember Gary and Lillian. They're doing quite well. They, they were um, sick for a while, but are healing up, up in Tofield, Alberta. And uh, Gary loved to use the Amplified Version. Any Amplified Version fans out there? If you're at Bible study, bring along your Amplified Version. Wow, this, this uh, Amplified Version of this verse is great. And I thought of Gary when I found it. The sun is the radiance and only expression of the glory of our awesome God, reflecting God's Shekinah glory. The light being the brilliant light of the divine. There's the amplification, and you almost need that to get this thought across. And the exact representation and perfect imprint of his Father's essence. The word here, actually, talks about coins and the, the imprint that would go, or if you had a seal. It'd be one thing to have a 3D image that someone drew, but if you had a seal in, in wax or the imprint on a coin and it becomes 3D and you go, wow, that looks just like that king. That looks like the Lord. That's the image that we're trying to get across here, that Jesus, yeah, angels, they look great. But this is no angel, no messenger of God. In fact, when the author quotes Deuteronomy 32, 43, another passage here in verse 6, He's saying the angels worship the sun. This is way above. At this Deuteronomy passage, I think this is the third one that we're hitting so far from the Old Testament, it comes from the Song of Moses, Deuteronomy 32. Now, if you uh, were to look this up, you'd see that it's a, it's a beautiful, another beautiful poem written about the Lord. 
that the Lord is going to bring justice, ruling with power, avenging injustice, and making atonement for the land and the people. There, there is something special that's going to happen. They could see that. And so this goes right back to that passage, saying back in Moses, they were looking forward to this one. And who's the one to do this? It's clear in our writer's mind that it's Jesus, a carpenter from Nazareth, believe it or not. And I did want to say, there was a quick aside. If you looked up, maybe you looked up Deuteronomy 32, and you might wonder, well, where is the phrase? Where is the phrase that our author quotes? Actually, it probably won't be there. Now, if you have little study notes, it'll show you what, what actually happened. So our author, he's quoting the Septuagint. Uh, it's just a quick little aside here. The Septuagint, and it's important for you to understand this uh, as we look at something like this. It's a Greek translation that was mainly used by everyone at that time. Called the Septuagint, which is Latin for 70, for the 72 uh, legend holds, the 72 translators, six from each of the 12 tribes of Judah that translated the Hebrew into the Greek. Now, the problem occurs here in this passage when the phrase that our writer quotes isn't found in the more reliable copies of the Hebrew. Now, the key is to realize here that the truth being taught is entirely trustworthy. And this can be upsetting for some people who really want to, to seek the inerrancy of scripture. It becomes a bit of a conundrum, but I encourage you that we can trust that God is communicating to us, not in a specific translation like the Septuagint or the NIV or the KJV, but through all of it to us by his spirit. And as our statement of faith says, that we can trust that the divine inspiration of Holy Scripture and its entire trustworthiness and supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct. And this is just another great example. Now, of course, the point being made here, it continues in verse 7, angels. The word means messenger, messenger. They are just like the winds and the flame. But Jesus, Jesus shines with God's glory and is the exact representation of God not just a messenger, but God in the flesh. Angels are awesome. In fact, the Jewish tradition held them up. And this is really fascinating. They held up angels as the, not just messengers of God in a number of ways, but as the, the ones that brought the Torah to Moses on the mountain, which we don't really see. It's sort of Jewish legend. But for them, the angels were the deliverer of the law of all that they followed, of God's communication to them. So angels were highly thought of. And so for, for the author of the Hebrews to be writing to Jewish Christians and saying, guess what? Yeah, angels, they're just messengers. Even though they brought us the law, Jesus, Jesus is way better. If you want to know what God looks like, no matter what an angel looks like, if you want to understand the heart of the Father, how to live, love, and laugh like God. Don't look to angels. 
Don't look to the law or those that delivered it. Look to Jesus. I know. Third point, Jesus is exalted over all. Third, and if you knew, Baptist preacher, third point's last point, so we're getting there. Verses 8 to 13. All right, we're quoting more Old Testament passages. Psalm 45. Our author takes this psalm written as, it was written for a king, a royal psalm, and realizes that this was actually written, not just for a king in his day, but the true king of kings. That though it would have been sung for David, most likely, even he would have understood that there was a fulfillment that was coming in the Messiah. And our author says it's been found in Jesus. And then quotes from Psalm 102, verses 25 and 27, that as they wrestle with who Jesus truly is, they realize that in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hand, that these words fit with the person of Jesus that they're following. And also that at the end, no matter what happens, he will remain unchanged. He will be orchestrating it as he did at the beginning. Now, why is this, why is this so important for him to unpack in all these verses, to look back at these? You have to understand that they were expecting a Messiah, right? And that Messiah was going to bring about righteousness, justice, do away with injustice. Well, what had they been living under? They were living under all of that still, and Jesus had come and, and gone, and they were still living under this Roman rule, the pagan overlords dictating the law of the land, and it was not in their favor. Sometimes we can feel a little bit like that. We don't have it near as bad as they did. And the Messiah was supposed to come back and make everything right, but Jesus comes and shows them a much different way, doesn't he? That his kingdom is one of justice and righteousness, but it's not to come about by violence, by uprising and overthrowing the Romans, but by a loving invitation and godly example lived out person to person to, for all of us to be that imprint, that exact representation of our God, just like Jesus. And that often means sacrifice, the absence of earthly power, just like Jesus lived out, but with a confidence of true power and being seated as a citizen of heaven. So Jesus doesn't fit their original idea of Messiah that they had in mind. But then, then they begin to realize that though he was much less than they hoped for in one way, he was also so much more that he isn't just going to help them out here and there for a few years with the Romans, but that he has been holding them from the beginning and will be holding them until the end. Whew. As they wrestled with this, as they began to imagine this, if they had emojis back then, Maybe they'd use this one. Right? Wow, we thought Messiah was going to help us overthrow the Romans, but Messiah is actually God's son. The firstborn, the heir, 
that he is actually exalted over all, that there is a special relationship between father and son. You see, they were getting discouraged. Things weren't going their way. Maybe it would be easier to forget about this Jesus. They're being persecuted for him, for following him. Maybe it wouldn't have been easier if we just trusted in our guardian angels. Because they're always with us. They just fly over us, doing nice things for us. This idea of angels don't blow our minds. It's not challenging in that same way. We can go on living as we want and hope that they'll just help us not fall off a cliff. Yeah, when we're walking in one. They'll probably, most often, they'll look like this, you know, watching our lives. Oh, no, not again. So our author reminds them and reminds us who we're dealing with. Jesus. This isn't just Jesus the carpenter from Nazareth. This is Jesus, the one that they have always been hoping for, the one God had always promised, the true heir, the son of the Most High, the one who has held them, the only one that truly brings freedom and justice, the one who has come to deal with all their sin and shame, to bring true life no matter what is going on around them. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one we can look to and see what it means to act like God. Wow. And you want an angel to guard over you? You want to get to know your guardian angel's name? Forget about it. It's all about Jesus, you know the Son's name. The Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the one we all long for. And guess what? He wants a relationship with you. For you to know him not just to have him watch over you, but to talk with him daily, to share from your heart, to be your true peace and fullness and not just a wishful guardian. He is one that we can truly lean on through all times. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we look through this book, we thank you for the author of Hebrews, whoever they are, and, and how they don't reveal themselves so that we all the more look to you as the one who gave us this book. To help us to, to reframe how we see things. And Lord, I ask that you would help us today, this week, not just have a, a wishful hope for a guardian angel to watch over us, but that we recognize that we have or can have a relationship with the Lord of Lords, the King of all kings, much higher than any angel. 
shining with the radiance of God. Wow. Or we ask that you would blow our minds once again. And that as we lean into you, as we know we can rely on you to walk through us, that walk with us through whatever is coming, that we're walking with the King of Kings. Thank you so much for that opportunity. Amen. Well, in closing, we would like to sing a familiar hymn with you. It's called Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. And often when we sing this song, we sing it with gusto and even a really good polka beat. But I've been reflecting on what does it mean to lean on his arms and to actually just relax into his care, the omnipotent God that carries us fully. And there's a version of this song that I love that's a lot more reflective. Same tune-ish. You'll hear. I'm going to sing it for you once. And feel free to just close your eyes and picture yourself leaning on his powerful arms. And then we'll all sing it together.
it's so good to hear you all sing. I'm going to sing this truth of what we need to do each day, don't we? I invite you to open your hands to receive our closing blessing and benediction as we go from today. May you know that though God has sent angels to watch over you, you have access to the Almighty in Jesus himself. The Son has come to love you and be loved by you and to love this world through you. He's the one you can lean on. In the name of the Father who loves you, the Son who came to fulfill all things, and the Spirit who empowers you to live it out. Amen. Go in the love of Jesus.